Hey, man. Thanks for having me, man. How's it going? Pretty good. Pretty good. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. That's what my mom wants to say. Happy Friday. I get text messages every Friday morning from that in the nice. group chat. Yeah. Um, let's see. Where to start? So, uh, I have a bone to pick with you. Ooh. You tell. Yeah. This has been like three months in the works, this episode. This particular oh, episode. At least. At Maybe least. Days. Probably years, considering we started a podcast together a long time ago. Uh, do you remember we what did. it's called? The Undesigned That's right. Podcast, my man. That's right. We had a lot of fun with that. You should come on more and then, you know, sub in for Pascal when he's not here. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Um, okay. So, uh, again, why have you been avoiding me? Uh, you know, I just hate you. No. Uh, probably. Uh, <laughs> it's been a lot of, a lot of work. Uh, as you know, as mm-hmm. a few other people know, I, I recently jumped onto a new job. Um, and that's been just like a lot of, uh, a lot of a learning curve, uh, a lot of sort of like a shift in position responsibilities and, uh, yeah, just getting up to speed with it, a very fast environment. And that's, that's definitely been like a bit of a time suck lately. Well, also you went to Italy. I did go to Italy. So, yes. so let me get this straight. Did your job require you to go to Italy or is this just another excuse to avoid being on the pod? I'm going to plead the fifth there. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, Italy was, Italy was fantastic. Uh, my wife planned all of it entirely. Uh, I was just kind of like the tourist there. And yeah, it was 10 cities in 10 days. Uh, absolutely incredible. That's awesome. You got to share some pics afterwards. But I don't think the people want to hear about your vacation. I think the people want to hear about design stuff. So my question to you, let's start off with what do you do? Where do you work? How'd you get to where you are? And then we'll go from there. Totally. Uh, yeah, I guess I'll take it back a little bit. Uh, I'll start with where we met, uh, which was in college, the University of Central Florida. Whoop, whoop. Uh, go Knights. A... Go Knights. Charge on. Uh, <laughs> I was a feisty junior trying to punch above my weight class and hang out with some of the seniors. Uh, you were there, obviously. We seemed to be like two of the uh, very few people that wanted to get into like the tech side of design. Uh, so, you know, we like took a liking to each other, started hanging out, uh, after graduating, I uh, then took a role at a local agency called Purple Rock Scissors. Uh, we had the pleasure of working with a ton of great clients like Hard Rock, Disney, Pixar, Facebook, Instagram, um, really great place to like test the blade and get the skill set up super quick. Uh, after that, I, moved, I wanted to get into like product design uh, entirely and move out of like the marketing space a little bit. Uh, took a job with a property tech company called Zonda uh, with uh, another Purple Rock Scissors alumni there that sort of dragged me over. Uh, and that was fun. We picked up like another guy from Purple too, worked there for about a year or so. And from there, I took a job with DigitalOcean, uh, which is super fun. I really liked like cloud and um, doing like stuff in that space uh so it's super cool to jump over there um really fantastic team uh, i mean like the whole team kind of like turned over in a year or two uh, like I, we actually went to a retreat back in december 2022 uh one of the like icebreakers they had us do we got into a circle and they had us like line up from most tenured at digital ocean to lease and like by that time, I hadn't been there for two years, and I was like number three in line there out of probably fifty or sixty people in that room. And I was like, "Oh wow, that's uh, insane!" I mean, I had like seven different managers over the course of two years there, like, and it was chaotic. I mean, I joined it like a, a pre-IPO DigitalOcean, uh, almost immediately thrown into post-IPO DigitalOcean, uh, just watching that grow. Um, that was super cool. I got to work like pretty much everywhere that I could have dreamed over there. I got to work uh, primarily on our marketing team. So like uh, I oversaw a lot of the design for our marketing website, uh, helped out a lot with the community site design, uh, worked on events. So like I headed the charge for Hacktoberfest last year. Uh, and then I also had some fun time getting to work on the product side too. So like I worked on um, user onboarding and uh, like, what growth could look like uh, from that sort of like first time user experience aspect as well. Uh, but yeah, that was super fun. Uh, 
I, it was a good two years and I wanted to sort of see what came next. So more recently, I took a leadership position with a company I'd been contracting with called Makelog. Um, been contracting with them mostly on marketing materials for like the past year or so. Uh, I designed their new site and then uh, from there, I uh, wanted to just see what I could do on the product side too. So I am now the director of product and design at Makelog. And That's awesome. that is how we got here. So what do they do? What 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 is what is make log? It's maker or make 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 log make log. So what is make log? Uh, so yeah, it's do? Uh, we we do like uh, release communication. So like uh, think about change logs being sort of the base of that. I feel like that's what people primarily expect when they hear that kind of phrase. Uh, but we try to take a more in depth look at it. So what does release communication mean as a whole? Uh, you know, that's start to finish. Uh, I think it's it's sort of that paradigm of uh, if something's done in linear or Jira, like, is it actually done? Um, you know, is that code shipped? Probably not. Uh, so really just being able to give product managers, project managers, product owners, whoever it is that's overseeing those processes, uh, a glimpse into what's actually going on. Uh, and then being able to communicate that both internally and externally. Uh, it's been super cool. Uh, and you know, like change logs aren't the, the most exciting thing ever. Like not everybody is writing change logs. And like, I think that's super cool. Um, because that's there presents the problem to me. Um, I think it's, it's really just like how people communicate nowadays, which is how they did 20 years ago. Um, and that's, you know, cool to think about how we can innovate in that space. Um, and just being able to take over the whole picture of it's super cool too. It's interesting. Um, because what you said there was like, it's kind of like a somewhat like a boring thing, something people don't really pay attention to. It's not like something that gets a lot of attention. And now uh, when it's revealed, you know, one way of creating startup is like revealing something that is mundane, boring, repetitive, or that is like just a frustrating to deal with and then reinvent how that works or to fix something, whatever. Um, I think that it's, it's a really interesting product. I'm excited to see where you take it. Is, is there any like previews you can give us of to, as to what's coming with MakeLog? Totally. So I would say a lot of my thesis and or theory around uh, the product rework specifically uh, has been in the realm of like, what do people do with social media right now? I mean, you see so many companies that basically just use Twitter as their change log uh, and Today's day and age, I mean, if you go to Vercel's changelog right now, there's a banner at the top of Vercel's changelog that says, you want the updates fastest, go follow us on Twitter. I, I think that's pretty revealing in itself. Uh, so many other companies think that way. And I think like, uh, look at, you know, the apps that sort of um, hold people's attention right now, like TikTok. I mean, it's very, very short form content. Uh, because of that, I mean, that's how people are writing. Um, I think there's, there's a lot of beauty behind writing uh, more concise language right now. Um, so it's been a major focus on the product. Uh, and I think there's also this great balance between, you know, people that put, let's say you put out like a weekly newsletter style change log, something like that. Uh, right now, that's a pretty manual process, no matter where you go. I mean, that requires a project manager to sort of take, you know, stock of what's shipped this week. Uh, maybe that's defined at their organization. Maybe they're looking through GitHub commits and trying to figure it out on their own. They're technical enough. Uh, that kind of sucks. So uh, a lot of what we're working on there is around automation, um, a lot of like roundup mentality uh, to sort of be able to draft those things up for you. So really, it's just an editing process and being able to you know ship that out Friday before 5 p.m. without having to like burn the midnight oil. Um, and then, you know, reverse side of that, the manual creation too. Uh, really just being able to give people like the best change log editing experience. Uh, I feel like right now it's I'm just writing in general, I feel, uh, in a lot of these tools. You always see people like, oh, everybody's using Notion now. I'm like, yeah, Notion's great. But then you see people like a year later saying, oh, I moved back to Apple Notes because like why, why fix what isn't broke? And uh, yeah, I feel like there's there's a lot of fluff in the, the sort of writing and manual creation space right now. Uh, just want to sort of see what we can do there. I'm super excited to see what both sides of that look like as we start to get this thing out to customers. I, I've seen it so often. People go from Notes to Notion and back to Apple Notes. I myself am struggling with that. 
Um, let's get rid of all this boring stuff. Let's talk. Let's let's stop being professional. Let's let's get into like the weeds. I want to hear your raw, controversial opinions. Like you text me and you tweet to me. You know, I think the world deserves to hear the real Logan. Oh, okay, totally. so can I swear on this, you okay? absolutely fucking can. Hell yeah! No, that's <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, we went the hot takes. Uh, so much of software can just be like boiled down to being an Excel spreadsheet or like a you know a Microsoft Word document at this point. And it's like you see these companies go through these like crazy seed rounds, and they're like, "We're just we're doing the craziest thing," and they put out like a caliber app and it's like <laughs> sick very cool like i don't know man i don't feel it's that important of a space to innovate on when there's like a lot more happening right now um, but to see that that's like that's still like this tried and true path of like choose these very expected tools to work on that like hey you know i feel that's the other thing too is like you look at these tools and half the reason they want to do it they're like there are so many competitors in the space and it's like I feel that's maybe not the reason to do that then. Well, okay, I'll push back on that. So I think it's a good sign to say that there's a lot of competitors in the space because a lot of potential uh, True. things up for grab. Um, however, the more diluted the space gets, the harder that becomes. That is true. So it's still a paradox. And I guess there's like a sweet spot that might be where it's like there's a couple of competitors and that's fine. But then if it's like a thousand competitors and everyone's doing it, it's going to lower the price, which is good for consumers, right? You know, uh, it's a plan demand. But I think that another take on it would be like, why are we all just reinventing the exact same thing with a little tweak? You know, like I get it, like bureaucracies kill products. I'm very much aware of that, right? But to your point, like we should be trying maybe to do something a little bit more unique, unusual, things that are not, not have not, not have been done before. Uh, as a matter of fact, what I'm working on right now is to improve uh, a way of looking at spreadsheets. So it's no longer just a spreadsheet. It's something that's actually far easier to use for prioritizing uh, whatever tasks a company needs to do to, to complete to to earn the the client or whatever. And you're right. It all comes back down to a spreadsheet. And I had to do, design a table. And I'm like, man, like, they're all like, it's like a chat interface, a table. What else? What, what do we have? A grid of icons and like a dashboard. That's all like every interface is, right? It's a combination of those things. Table, list view, whatever. Um, so you and I have a lot in common, especially now, both work at startups. And we're both in charge of the design of each startup, right? So... I want to talk to you about that specifically. We've had a lot of enterprise people on the podcast. We've had a lot of people who run their own companies on the podcast. Um, we've had people who've you know been through through the ringer. But I want to talk to you specifically about a couple of things. Hiring. I want to talk to you about what you look for at a company to join for a startup. I want to talk to you about um, how do you maintain high level of excellence in design as the only designer on a team or one of very few designers on the team. So let's start with uh, the, the, the being the only designer, right? You are the only designer, correct? Yes, yes, right now okay. I'm the only full-time designer. Okay, so you're the, what, what do they call it? Design ninja, black belt, oh, uh, yeah, is that your title? Uni unicorn designer. Uh, right. Founding designer. Founding, I, I, yeah. Really not the founding designer. There were like eight, two before me. Um, mm. So I don't I don't get to take that that mantle, but okay. So what is it like to be the only designer? I, I've said my opinion on the podcast before, but what is it like to be the only designer at a startup and how do you manage that? Totally. Um honestly it's it, so much of it is not being a designer, in my opinion. Uh, I think uh, we we have these like very defined roles in tech right now whether it's like you know you're on the project management side of it you're on the design side you're on the engineering side um i don't know like content side uh whatever other disciplines exist and i feel that's all well and good at the enterprise level i mean you know these these swim lanes have to exist as your company grows 
you're in a much larger pool uh, and the more people cut over into other people's lanes, the messier it gets. And you can't really have that at the enterprise level. You need to run and maintain a good ship. Why? Um, at the, why? Um, I'll get to, to why I like that and why I don't like that. Uh, why I would say it's easy for leadership to take account of what's happening and not necessarily micromanage, but do a, an easy job of managing a company mm. in that aspect. Uh, does that lead to innovation often? No, not entirely. Uh, it, it leads to a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of uh, having 10 cooks in the kitchen to be able to you know, put one new hero section into a website, um, that, that whole dynamic. I feel at the startup level, why do you see these companies ship so much faster? I mean, not entirely why we see these companies ship faster. Like, yeah, a team of five is going to obviously be able to ship faster than a team of thousands. And like, that's just how things work. Less complex code bases. Everybody should be like as in the weeds as possible because, you know, the whole thing is down. Uh, whereas at the enterprise level, people are still ramping up. Not everybody's able to understand the entirety of the company at most places or most of these enterprise places. Uh, on the startup side, though, I'd say like being, a, you know, in these defined roles, I try not to be as defined as often as possible. I feel these gaps that these distinctions have created uh, in communication between these different roles uh, because of all of these people that work at the enterprise level and that they jump over into startups, they try to treat it the same way. Um, I think they learn pretty quick that it just doesn't work super well. I mean, this, this like design to engineer handoff dynamic that we've all worked with uh, at these companies, like I try to avoid it as much as possible. Um, I mean, you know me, I'm like dual facing as a designer and engineer. Uh, so I, I, I'm able to do that super easily. Um, but I'd say like, even if you're not, like, try to be. Like, you know, work as much with your engineers, learn the constraints in which they work with, uh, show them the constraints you're working with, or how to be more, not how to be more creative, but how to work more creatively. Hmm. Um, what does that I mean? mean? You know, like, hmm? what does that mean? Work more creatively. Engineers, I feel like, I mean, Jesus, everybody's, everybody's so into this, like, oh, Figma sucks, or, like, Figma's fantastic, like, or you, why not just, like, design with code, or, like, that kind of thing, and, like, one, I feel most of the people would say, like, just design with code, like, you look at their work, and it's terrible, um, let's <laughs> be honest, but uh, outside Somebody, of that, I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll pause right there, somebody said that, um, I don't remember who it was, honestly, I'm not trying to hide them, if I can find out posts in, in, the, in the show notes, but Somebody said recently that like, uh, oh no, it was it was the, one of the founders of Basecamp, I think, said that. Oh, DHH. Yeah, something about. He jumps lot, on Twitter like once every three years just to drop like the salty take. And then you know, I appreciate like, the ability to jump in and be honest. I don't know why he's doing it. It doesn't sound like it's very helpful. Um, and I don't think it's very true. I don't really believe a lot of what they say, but they were saying like, you know, our designers code. So that's why they're so much better. And you look at their products. I know. And they it's suck. Like, dude, Basecamp looks like it's from the 90s. And like, <laughs> even hey, like, I mean, you built this up like as a marketing first type business through the like, you know, the hype of like, we got hey.com, like it's coming out in a year. And it's like, damn, dude, this looks like a college project. <laughs> but like, I mean, like, I, hey, you know, I, you have to give the guy credit, though. Like, he, he has done it a couple of times. Is it pretty? No. So I don't think he has much ground to stand on in that um in that aspect well but. things that don't have to be pretty to be successful right no so is it successful and not pretty <laughs> <laughs> what base camp yeah like it, i think it's it's been around but i don't think it's like wildly successful it's like sustainable right like that was like their goal like not to be like a crazy billion dollar company just be a sustainable company I'd say, yeah, I mean, in like 2018, I'd say absolutely. But like, do people still use Basecamp? Like, I seriously I don't, don't know. know. I, I can't <laughs> I imagine a world heard. where Basecamp is like the thing people still use. It's kind of like AOL as it is today. Yeah, I'm like, I'm curious what kind of business you have to start working at to then hear like, oh, yeah, we use Basecamp. As if like, that's <laughs> I the thing know. people use. <laughs> yeah, I'm scared. Yeah, it, I think they had an issue right with the culture shift i think after ba after um coinbase said no politics in the office and then they let like three percent of their staff go or something like that they paid them to leave you know um same thing at other companies that i know of um 
they base camp specifically did something similar um which is weird because they were so vocal politically right oh dude i've got i've got like i took a screenshot of a tweet from the base camp account that i still have on my phone and it's literally them talking about medium because medium pulled something on them like six or seven years ago now and somebody said like oh like base camp uses medium base camp's account responded to it and said fuck like fucking medium can't wait to be off of that and i'm like whoa do i i'm like dhh definitely just like tweeted this from the company account that's insane that's okay that's first of all very unprofessional but secondly like why like it okay mediums it was, yeah it company, wasn't like it business. wasn't like them putting it into the public space it was just like a reply to a reply on a tweet <laughs> and it was like jeez yikes well uh i i think that they had a really good book about like the how to, how to balance like work and like oh life yeah and stuff. yes i do remember this book and i actually the, have like, it the sprint category and uh, <laughs> all of those radical it, candor right I, I will say it had some really good advice and really good uh, techniques and strategies and tactics to, to kind of balance that it's a shame that the company ethos is kind of tarnished from like i don't i i didn't like what they were uh necessarily saying before they stopped the whole politics stuff but i appreciated somebody saying something that was on their mind that like they had an opinion of but i didn't agree with it being from the company perspective that part just was kind of weird to me and it always is when like a company tries to take a virtue signaling view of things and then yeah. now they're like they realize that it was a bad business, uh, uh, a bad business decision to even go into that. Then they step back and everyone like came after them, which is kind of like, what is everyone doing at the time? Like, who cares? Like, this is just it's just a business. Like, it's, it, it, just it's, to make yeah, money. It's not like a big business. Like, few people are using this nowadays. <laughs> and like, even if they were, like, it's not a life changing business. You know, it's not like they're they're saving lives. Like, they're they're maybe giving you a place to track work. Maybe if they still even do that. So that, that gives me an idea of a question for you. Um, what do you think of like the ethics of being a designer? Like, Do you have any thoughts on this stuff? Because I know you and I think very similarly about this stuff. Um, and I'm not ashamed to share my opinion or anything. But um, what do you think about these designers who say like, oh, we have a responsibility. I hate that word. Responsibility to protect people uh, through our designs. And now this whole AI ethics thing is, is blown up into an AI. Um, they call it something else now. They keep changing the names of it. Um, whatever. What do you think of this stuff? It's There's so much entitlement in what we do. Um, I, I will always say that and advocate for and against it. Um, but yeah, I mean, like there's design that definitely help save people's lives i feel like it's it's few 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 and far between um like large distances there uh 99 of us are not doing that and i think we we really need to just have a little bit more fun with it uh at the end of the day i think it, uh, we we've like i don't know i think if you live in that kind of world you're like trying to make this this use case for why designers need to exist and if that's the case maybe you need to look at it a little bit more objectively and ask if you're really doing something of value. Um, Cause at the end of the day, like, I, I don't know. It's, it's like some, uh, some people at companies ship things and some don't. Uh, and I feel a lot of times if you, if you are that kind of designer, that's like trying to like make a case for why you need to exist somewhere and like, Oh, it's, it's ethics or it's this or that. Like, are you really contributing to like the overall goal here? Uh, or are you just trying to like save yourself? Uh, and like, I would not say that that just applies to design. I mean, I think I'd like, I'd, I think project management as a whole sees a lot of that. Like so many of these tools, look at Jira, like Jira is fucking crazy. And the reason it's crazy is because it's created this cult of project managers and scrum masters who all know how to use Jira specifically because it's tough because it's tough and jira knows that and they feed off of each other and they can just keep it that way because it guarantees that these people are going to have jobs and it guarantees that these companies are going to be buying jira and atlassian products and like you say the same thing about aws i mean 
Vercel is literally a layer over AWS because it's so complicated. And if you mm. look at his AWS from an engineering perspective, uh, outside of like the front ends and everything else that Vercel handles, um, they, they offer certificates to be able to use it. And that's like, uh, that's like part of being an engineer on like a lot of this cloud uh, infrastructure level is having these certificates and being able to work with AWS. And that's like a skill set. And it, like, clearly it doesn't have to be that hard. Like there's all these wrappers and uh, like Purcell and these other companies that wrap around AWS and shown it doesn't have to be that hard. Uh, all the other like, not indie brands, but some of the others that exist out there. Uh, and I, it's like, same deal. Like AWS knows it's hard to use. It could be better, but it doesn't need to be better because mm. it guarantees that these engineers are going to get the certificates, going to keep using AWS. These big companies want to use AWS because it's because it looks like it's tough to use. Uh, so same exact thing there. That's a really interesting perspective and a great point because it, on one hand, you're like saying software is complicated for a reason to keep people in business. And that in and of itself is bad design, is it not? Like if... Yeah you're restricting others from using your software because it's that complicated. Is it really good software? I mean, it can do good things, but like, I think maybe the, the only AI ethics I'll probably state is like complicated software is bad, right? Like that makes sense to me. I think that's pretty unethical making something complicated on purpose. Uh, but maybe it wasn't that complicated on purpose. Maybe it was just the way that these people were thinking that complicated was, was good, which is not true. Um, but on the flip side, I do believe that Salesforce actually does not improve their product by incorporating features from their uh, little app marketplace in inside of Salesforce uh, to allow third parties to make money, to, how to, to house a, a thriving community. Um, and I think a bad example that does that is Webflow, where like basic things that need to be done in the tool are apps like reordering pages or something like that. I saw something like that recently, like you to reorder a page, you have to install a plugin to allow you oh, to yes. drag the page or, or something like that, right? So that to me and is like... It's just because they don't want to like... This gets into the like design versus code thing too, where it's like Webflow exists. It's like, I, I'd say Webflow is like pretty close to teaching you know, the principles of front end right. uh, i heard professors even say like when i start teaching front end to cs students like i'll, I'll literally jump into webflow because it's like a, it's a visual editor mm -hmm. basically uh, and that's cool but like yeah all of these companies that uh, like try to abstract to any degree how front end works and like they do the same thing it's just like oh like it's a plugin or it's another app to be able to do it. it's like well why does it have to be that it's like oh because I guess if you wanted to do it, you would be coding. And that's against what we're doing here. <laughs> well, I would say Framer does such a good job at, at abstracting that it doesn't feel like I even need to learn how to code. I just need to learn how to group things, which, you know, totally. I do that in Figma too. Um, Dude, Framer's, Framer is insane. I like I, as much hate as I will give the like designers should code bullshit. Um, I, I will say, like, Framer has always been one of those companies where I've been like, you guys just don't care what everybody else is doing, and you try to do it your own way. I mean, like, the original Framer was, like, a, a weird front-end tool where people were, like, they were trying to get people to learn Dart to write uh, <laughs> these, like, interactive prototypes. And then they were like, oh, nobody wants to learn Dart. And then they made, like, I think it was, like, Framer X, which then became just normal framer which was their like competitor to sketch and then obviously like sketch was still the top dog and then they you know covid happened and big went took over and then framer was like ah what if we just made like a better version of webflow it's like there it is like it wasn't like a clone of, it's never a clone of which i love um framer always has their own unique spin to it and that's like super cool to see and like I don't think even when they pivot, they're like, oh, yeah, we don't care about code anymore. Like, Framer Motion exists, and it's still, like, the most essential JavaScript animation library if you're working with React. So, you know, they still care about, like, every aspect of this. They never, like, leave something behind. Yeah, I think that the biggest criticism for them is that 
they change so much that it's hard to invest in their products because one day, one year it'll be there. And then the next year it's like, oh, it's replaced by Framer X, replaced by Framer. Now yeah. it's Framer Sites and what's happening to the prototyping tool. So I think that that problematic and I did have a great conversation with, with Jan on the pod uh, recently. So if you haven't listened to that, check it out in the show notes. Logan, you better watch that episode. Okay, so let's switch gears to, I don't really want to talk about hiring per se, but I want to talk about like what you look for in designers to work with. Because um, uh, you and I are sole designers at our companies. Uh, I will hopefully eventually get my own team and get to hire a bunch of people. Uh, and I would like to know your perspective as to what are you looking for in designers that you would like to hire at, at your company if you had the ability to? Totally. Yeah. Great question. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I've seen it at like all levels too, be it uh, from the agency perspective, from uh, like mid-sized startup enterprise with DigitalOcean and now to like super like micro small startup. Uh, so yeah, I mean, like, Quite honestly, it's always the same thing. Uh, I think when I started my career, it was like, oh, enterprise designers look like this and like startup designers look like this. But no, at the end of the day, like it just comes down to grit. And I think that's like probably, I don't know, it's like a cheat code. I feel like maybe people get it, maybe they don't. Maybe like what I'm saying is stupid and everybody's like, yeah, well, like no shit, dude. But I feel so much of it is like, I like, when I like when I first got into design, I had a I had a university job, uh, which was through UCF's uh, student union. Uh, it was on their marketing team, and like I did not know what the hell I was doing. Uh, I had a friend who, who said you still uh, do. Damn, I definitely <laughs> don't. And like, yeah, you're right. I mean, that's like my whole engineering story too. But. So I had a friend who like lived on, uh, he lived like a floor under uh, my freshman year. Uh, didn't really talk to him much sophomore year because he moved somewhere else. Um, didn't hang out as much. I like bumped into him in our student union and he was like, oh, hey, like you're getting into graphic design here. Like we're hiring a designer here. And I was like, oh, like nice one, nice to see you. Uh, but two, that sounds awesome. Uh, like, let me know. And I like ended up getting a job there. And I, I was like, oh my God, like I, at the time I went to UCF originally to study concept art. So I wanted to do concept art for video games. Uh, it was like very much the like traditional arts, I didn't know that. digital arts background. And like, I, I saw, like I showed up, they said that like 90% of UCF's game design program uh, was programming classes. And I like, I just absolutely freaked out. I was like, oh my God, I'm like eight states away right now. I didn't know this. I like got my parents to to let me go to this out of state school. I'm fucked. And the guy at orientation told me like, well, you can do studio art or you can do graphic design. And I was like, my mom's not gonna let me walk out of here with a studio art degree. <laughs> I'm gonna do graphic design. Smart mom is like, yeah, I'm just gonna see it as like a tool in the tool belt. Uh, and I'm gonna mm -hmm. continue to do concept art and all that. Uh, so like I walked into this job with like just a background in like not even a background like just some traditional arts training. Uh, like I mean I, I drew a lot and like everything was very digital art. Um, but yeah, I mean like uh, when I wasn't there, I was like I and like at at the time like I just met uh, my now wife uh, and then girlfriend and back then like we'd been dating for three months or so and i was like hey they need me to stay for summer if i want this job like can i just like move into your apartment with you and she, very fortunately i mean like this woman is a saint she let me uh and so uh yeah i moved in and like i did this job and like i didn't know what i was doing i was so freaked out but like, if i was not in that office like designing i was back at the apartment designing and like teaching myself how to use illustrator and like really just like grinding my nose down and that was like that that felt so good to just be able to like be so competent in what i was doing and like learning it all on the fly and it was just like the grit to it to like get up to a level where i felt comfortable being able to work there um and then even like after i graduated college and like working at the agency like i felt that whole cycle again uh, and it was fantastic. Like, I mean, I would not recommend working in an agency for anybody that's like 
further into their career unless that's like that's your thing then like more power to you that's badass you're killing it but i'd say for people that are like just getting out of college if you're like oh should i work at like a product company should i work at like an agency like i mean yeah one where you get a job but if you can work at an agency at any point in your career work at an agency try to work at an agency at the beginning of your career because it's crazy it's hectic i mean i was bouncing five or six clients at a time these weren't just like oh like mom and dad's electrical company like no this is like facebook and like disney and some of those i mean i had to very very fortunate to be on those types of projects but uh, same exact feeling what the hell am i doing and I, anything i didn't know i taught myself and like that is primarily what i look for anytime i'm hiring somebody people always say oh like do side like do do side projects to you know get your portfolio better like you know that's projects you're actually gonna care about i feel people are just kind of like they'll half ass it they'll do like maybe like a poster or like here's what a rework of i don't know like slack's home page could look like or something like that it's like just like just build something like just design something that you care about and do it and like better yet i mean that's how i got into engineering too i saw things that i wanted to build and i was like i can't do this but what if i could and i just went out taught myself as much as i could uh, i had some fantastic people to help me out along the way which like also anytime you don't know something grow your network like find people who do follow them around and just like pick up their skills try to learn as much as you can from them like people in this industry as much as they don't want to admit it love helping other people and that's fantastic. Like one helps you make more friends Two helps you make more like coworkers or like colleagues kind of level acquaintances. And three, like you learn what you want to do. Uh, but because of that, like I, anytime I'm looking for like, I, you know, I have like three candidates on the table and one's like been in the industry for 10 years works at like, you know, such and such fan company and map and just sort of like cruised versus, I don't know, some like, 23 year old who probably lied about where they were working but like also then on the side built an app and like has actual users for it like yeah i'm gonna take the gamble on that person because they care to learn and they care to like actually you know have and show grit that's so refreshing to hear you don't hear that very often the honesty about like the grit how do you develop that I guess I would call it the creative grit. Pain. <laughs> I'm just gonna lay it out there. It's pain. Uh, I, I, who, who I. Hurt like, you? Who hurt you? No, yeah, I'll, I'll talk about that. I honestly, <laughs> I feel like I coasted for so long growing up. I mean, I, you know, I come from a privileged community, absolutely, and like I had the the opportunity to go to college without, um, uh, you know, having to like worry too much about the financial side of it. Not that like it didn't at all, but uh, you know, like uh, there's plenty of people in this country and especially across the world that do not have that opportunity. And I feel like coasted a lot. Uh, I knew I wanted to get into art. I knew I was decent at it. I wouldn't say I was great at it. I had some traditional arts background. I want to, you know, like won a couple of competitions and that kind of thing. So I was riding that high. Um, I got to my first drawing class in college, sophomore year. And this professor just like, he was like, fuck you. Who was it? Like he. Ahern? No. No, no. dude, Dennis was great. No, I love, was River. He, was, he was a tough one. That's what I was told. He was Robert he was a tough Rivers, one. man. Rivers. So yep. it was a yep. class. I had him too. By, it was taught by Rivers and yep. Ahern. And Oof, tough. Rivers just absolutely. He, one day he was just like, I'm going to make an example out of this kid. And he did. And he was just like, you are no good at this. Get the fuck out of my class. <laughs> and like, I like, it was like a Friday. I had had a real shit week. I think somebody hit my car or something. Oh, and like, man. my mind was not there. I was like, still just coasting on like talent, not really putting in hard work. And like, I went home for the weekend to my parents' place. Uh, at the time, they like moved down to West Palm Beach. So they like drove from Orlando down there to hang out for the weekend. And I just remember coming back with like the biggest chip on my shoulder and like it just flipped a fucking switch. And from there, like I was in that studio as often as I could be and like trying to be the best in that class. And like from there, like I ran into other professors who also had that kind of like real tenacity about <laughs> them. I don't know if you remember Robert Reedy. Um, mm -hmm. Reedy was like quite the animal as well. 
he I, I remember like one day he tripped over a kid in the hallway because uh, like our art building was old as hell uh, they they didn't have chairs or like places to sit like some of the nicer buildings at UCF uh, which UCF or anybody there is listening it you know buy, get a better art building you guys yeah, right. put buildings up every year uh, do that one but anyway Reedy tripped over this kid walking in the hallway and he like spilled some coffee. He was like getting coffee for some other professors. He walked into the room. He had one coffee cup left, threw it at the wall. And he said, everybody get the fuck out of my class. And we just went on for the day. It was insane. This was like, this was like, uh, like JK Simmons and whiplash. Like that was that <laughs> kind of experience. And like, Oh I, yeah, like some of it's abusive. I don't think it's like it's for everybody, but I think that's that's like also you know designed at like the top tier. I I don't think it is for everybody, and like you know, receiving I, I, feedback at that level is like you gotta you gotta have skin for it. Very few people get to understand as first of all, art students get to understand, but very few people get to understand that art students, you know, a lot of them actually they start off. And, and they have to pay for all the, the stuff. Like you have to actually have some money to get into art because it costs so much for the equipment and stuff, all the tools, utensils, whatever. And then it, it's just like, you just beat the living hell out of you every class. Like, yeah. it's like, you're not good enough. Get out. <laughs> and I remember there was one kid that one of the teachers that, that we had looked at her drawing. I was like, wow, this really sucks, but I know how to make it better. And he went to the trash can and he took his coffee and he poured it all over the, the drawing. He said, wow, so much who, better. Who did the <laughs> But this is like a constant thing. Like it's a, it's a set of abuse that's set up in a way to, to recondition you. And I hate saying that it's abuse because it, it, it is probably classified as abuse. And I'm sure you can sue the school for some things. But this is like art. Like that's art class. Like for us, it's hard. People won't understand that. Like engineering, you know, they don't give a shit about your grades. They, they fail everyone anyways. Um and art, art, it's like they don't want to fail you. They really don't like failing because it looks bad on them. But, you know, in, in engineering, usually they raise all the scores at the end, right? Yeah. In art, they uh, never yeah, do that. Or, you don't yeah. get that at art. And they and I remember we started off with 30 kids. We ended up with eight in our first Dude, that second was drawing same class. Thing. My, my yep. traditional 3D class, we had 36 people. And by the end of the semester, we had 17. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. It's brutal. And I guess that does make us a little bit more gritty. That's like, okay, we can handle tough, you know, people because these you can't get much tougher than this. You know, of course, you have a job. And if you lose that job, it's a little bit more detrimental than if you get an, like a failing grade, you can always take class again. But it gets you conditioned in a way that I don't think many others get conditioned and makes designers or artists really a little bit more you know, rough around the edges in, in certain situations. Now, look at me. I'm, I don't look very rough around the edges, to be honest. <laughs> um, but like, I'll, I'll dress up and, and fresh for you. Um, but yeah, so that's that's a great explanation. Thank you for, for getting really detailed into that. Totally. And last thing I'll say on that, I, I think we were very fortunate to have that opportunity at a place like UCF. I mean, mm-hmm. UCF is not like SBA. It's not Pratt. It's not a you know, RISD and to have something like that at just like a Florida state school, like uh, honestly, very impressive staff there. Like, I mean, they, I they, love all of those professors. They, I thoroughly love, I, I don't like all of them. I, I, I love most of them. Um, there was the one ones I didn't like. Yeah. There's always one that we don't like. Most of them. <laughs> I had a class where I watched paint dry. The literal class I paid $3,000. Uh, I don't remember his name. Price price. To was okay. He he told me to move something on my piece of of art that I was doing, and he's like, "That looks so good." The next day, he's like, "Uh, C," and I was like, "What? (laughs) You gave me a C because you told me what to do?" He's like, "I didn't tell you to do that. You did that." I was like, like, "Yeah, you probably shouldn't have listened to me." I was like, "Oh, dick." But honestly, um, it was a great education. We were very fortunate for that. How do people who don't get a formal education up to speed how do we get them up to speed as being really excellent designers at branding at product at whatever totally I, I like i envy these people uh because i wish i had like the ones that are successful the ones that you know i know i'm like damn i wait i want you when i grow up um but 
the ones that didn't go to college and like didn't you know they didn't need it um not that like i don't i don't think anybody needs college i think it's a great way to like expand your network and like if it is like you don't know exactly what you want to do fantastic opportunity to be able to do that if you have a fortune of doing so but for those that you know they're 18 and they're like oh yeah i've been designing websites for five or six years now like i guess i'll just go do that they get hired in the agency but like by the time all of us have graduated they're probably a senior there like that's insane um i it's like yeah how do you develop that i'd say so much of it is just by doing like i i hate to say it that way but because i feel like learning is very important like i don't i don't always dive into everything that i do i think there's definitely things in life where it's like yeah maybe like read the manual but i think other than that like you see something you want to do like stop stop telling yourself you can do it later or tomorrow or like oh i I need somebody else to do this like i'll do i can do this one part but i'm gonna need somebody for the other like just try it like who cares if it doesn't work like that because so much of that like I mean, that's like, that's just great life skills in general. Like whether you're in the office or not, I mean, at home, like I, you know, we bought this house in 2019. There've been plenty of projects that like I can't do, which I'm fortunate. I have like a good family to be able to help out with that. But for the ones where I'm like, oh, I'd love to do that. And I'm like, okay, I'll just, I'll watch a YouTube video and like, I'll I'll give it a shot. Like the whole house isn't going to fall over if, if I don't do it right. For those types of projects, I would say, read the manual, have somebody that knows what they're doing, do it. But for those that aren't like, life or death, you know, just do it. And I'll add actually a prefix to that is to decide what you want to do, right? Prioritizing what you want to do is as essential as doing it because I've been having a problem. uh, Pascal and I have been having a problem where we are trying to do too many things with the podcast, the newsletter, the everythingframer.com and other things. And I think that we need to stop doing a bunch of things and focus on just a very few set of things, if not just one thing. And that, um, channeling that energy into one thing is going to give you a further, I want to say a farther result as in the results going to be much deeper in, in its, 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 its level of excellence, but its effects on you and others. And also you can understand the lessons from it much quicker and then pivot and do something else rather than spending time 20% here, 20% here, 20% here, 20% here. We just had this conversation today, uh, yesterday with my CEO and, you know, he's really excited that I'm doing this podcast. He's like, look, like, this is not something that's like that time intensive. You get an episode here, you get a result. You get an episode here, you get a result. And if you were to do like 10 different web apps, you know, you're not going to get this uh, that high of a result on all of them. It's a gamble, but you can't invest enough to succeed at each one of those things. You should really just focus on, on one thing at a time. And so I would say really prioritizing what you need to focus on to then figure out what you need, what skills you need to do it. Uh, I think that that's really essential. But I guess more specific advice, some designers want or want to be designers, people who want to become designers, people who are transitioning into design, they want to get into design. They don't know how to. They are trying to, I'm leading this with a question. I'm going to lead it up to a question. They're, They're trying to, for example, get a job at Netflix or get a job at X company but they don't have the portfolio. They're told they have to get the work done, but, and, and, and they know what work to do. They're just not either that great at it or they're just not there yet. They're still very young in their career and they need more practice, need more, need more um, failure to really understand the principles behind everything. What do you expect them to do? Because like they can, they can go off and do it, but like if they just start doing something in a void, how is that going to turn up with them getting a job at, at X company? Totally. And I appreciate the, the prefix you added there. Cause that's, that's perfect. I, yeah, I will say anything that I like jump into, I'm never like trying to spread thin. I think it's, it's important to realize like you have a ton of time, like in your career to work on whatever you want. Don't do it all like at the same time. You know, if you want to like work with, uh, you know, marketing, do that for like two years. You want to work in like products, like do that for two years don't feel like you have to like just do everything all at once i'd say like treat it more like an a la carte snack meal up front to be able to like figure out what you like get a taste for it start pursuing it and you know building up skill sets there um as for the the person who's trying to get like that bang type job uh they're like newer to the industry like 
I'm going to say the same kind of thing. Like it starts small with these things. Like I, you know, if you want to work at a place like Netflix, like maybe explore what it looks like to, you know, create a better video player or something like that. Like it doesn't have to be like, I'm going to redesign Netflix. That's crazy. Like that would, there's a reason that many people work at that company. Uh, you know, the amount of time and money that gets poured into their, um, a, you know, what it takes to upkeep something like that. Pick something granular. I mean, that's, that's important. You'll get really good at it. And like, odds are, I mean, so many of these companies have seen, you know, people walk into these, these interviews or even interviews and be like, oh yeah, I noticed you guys do all of this. Uh, you do this one thing, but I don't think you do it super well. Like, what's the what's the value add if you did do it super well? And they're like, you know, they say like, oh wow, like yeah, actually we've been we've been looking for that specifically, and we just don't really know ourselves where to start with that. You you do that, like you know how to do that. Boom, there you go. You've got your foot in the door. It's something like that. So it's like, I'm like pinpointing that as like nearly impossible. I'd say like I wouldn't say like oh like here's five steps to like understand how to find a problem at a company that like they don't even know that they need like that that's salesy that's lame like I, i'd say like you're never exactly gonna know what it is but like i'd say you'll know it to a better degree if it's a product or something you care about because you are a user of that thing if you're using it and you're noticing a problem other people are probably noticing that problem uh, a lot of times the company may not be noticing that problem because they're focusing on the grand scheme of things. That small inconvenience may not be of extreme importance until it's pointed out to them. I mean, that's why we get feedback. That's why. That's why, like, uh, you know, issues exist on GitHub and things like that. Um, so it's, you know, it's important to sort of be like, do what you care about, find what you care about, uh, then find like a small subsect of that to really like, dive into try out and see if you can make a difference there add some value what it reminds me of um this thing this homework assignment we had in in high school at a television production class and one of our first couple weeks of the assignment was uh first couple weeks of the class the assignment was watch a tv show a reality tv show or whatever tv show and note down write down all the different um uh what uh, continuity errors yeah. and so you're staring at the tv not watching the content but watching what's happening in the production value of it and you can start to see oh they cut here they had everyone move out get lunch then come back and then redo it and they didn't line them up correctly with a button yeah and, and differently exactly and so it they, yeah, yeah the thing was drank we you know the bottle was was full beforehand now it's empty so there, there was like a famous one with Game of Thrones where the last one of the last seasons, um, the coffee was on the table, right, with with Daenerys, and she was staring at it or something. And, then, and we interviewed the guy that made that coffee cup. No way. That was, that was Dan Casaro's uh, Young Jerks branded that coffee company's cups, and he knew from a behind the scenes shot of Kit Harrington with a coffee cup in hand. This was beforehand. Kit was pictured with this coffee cup as a behind the scenes thing, and it had the logo on. He said, "Holy shit! Like, I like we branded that company. How sick!" And then to hear <laughs> like there was a coffee cup on a table, it's like, hmm. Well, the coffee cup that was provided, or the coffee company that was providing coffee to the Game of Thrones set during shooting, I wonder what coffee cup that was. Well, you know, to, to be fair, it could have been hers too. It could have been anyone on the set. That just didn't get in the shot originally. No, no, I'm saying but... like if they're providing the coffee, though, like they're providing all the coffee. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Like odds are that cup is theirs. Oh yeah, yeah, def oh, definitely one of theirs. I wonder who, which one of the actors put it on the table though, and like left it yeah. there. Um, but I'm sure they just like green screened it out or something. They just kind of rotoscoped it out. Uh, I think it's and, still and there post... though. No, they can't leave that. And there's no way they put that in there. They kept it in there. No way. That's not what they would do. Now, if, I, if that was my co- if that was my if that was my show, I'd take that shit out. But I leave <laughs> just, it in like bloopers. Cancel the whole episode. <laughs> like you look at it, it's like you're, you're trying to watch season. I think it was like season seven. Uh, and hey, you, you're like going through, and it's like, oh, episodes one through ten. There's only nine on here. What? <laughs> so um, I want to talk quickly about projects, side projects specifically. 
Do you have any side projects that you're working on? Uh, at any given moment, there's like five. Cool. What are they? Right. <laughs> Uh, a lot of things with Notion. I know I like Notion. talked a lot of smack on Notion earlier, but like I think as a tool that does everything, it does everything to like a good enough degree that people want to work with it. And because of that, and the fact that they have a public API, uh, it's very cool to like see what you can do with it. I mean, I think one of my favorite companies right now is Super. Uh, Super So, and they uh, essentially started as just like turning notion pages into actual web pages mm -hmm. uh so like notion allows you to make pages public and what they did was they just swapped out the domain so the you, you can make a notion page public and you can use whatever domain you want super cool super easy from there they started building in like you know stylistic editors and things like that so you could like actually build a website with notion I think that's like one of the smartest and the coolest and easiest ideas I've ever seen. Um, I'm like constantly inspired by like that kind of mentality with these tools uh, and notion. Like there's just so much you can do with it, that it, it constantly, it makes me curious about like what I can mess around with. Um, I've had the idea of doing a lot with notion. Um, aside from that, I mean, I told you earlier about uh, the uh, sites that go hard that one uh but like i don't want to do that there's like godly dot website exists and like uh, uh you know like one page love and like uh, you know, like daryl and rob like they do they do great jobs with those types of websites i don't want to like do anything <laughs> like that uh they're they're way too good um yeah outside of that i feel like i i have like just like a like a scratch pad in apple notes so like i'll just i'll just be like i don't walk or like doing something let's be like oh I'll just like write something down real quick. I'll be like, yeah, maybe I'll check that out. But this list is like, it's got like 30 ideas on it now. Um, I one I tried to pursue last year, uh, which like maybe I'll pick it up. Maybe I won't. Maybe it'll turn into something different. Uh, was like now that people are going back to events, uh, doing like a, uh, a QR business card that exists in your Apple wallet. I think that'd be super mm. cool. Because uh, like there's mm. QR business cards and like physical ones. You've got like, I've seen like, I think the coolest thing is like women that get their nails done uh, before they go to these events, they'll have uh, the NFC chip put in <laughs> to their nails. So like when people are like, oh, like kind of your contact info or like your, you know, your links, whatever it is, they'll literally just like <laughs> tap somebody's phone and it's there. I'm like that, that is insane. That's so cool. Uh, but That's wild. Yeah. No, I, th I think there's like, and like one of the things I noticed digital ocean is the amount of money people spend on events because it's, there's so little thought that goes into events. Not not like, oh, people don't do events well, but like... Wait, like, hold up. When you're doing... Hold up. Wait, hold up. Hold up. I just had a thought. What do you mean they're putting their like an NFC chip in the... Like, who, how many times are they dropping their phone number to somebody? Like, what does that mean? <laughs> and they're like, oh, like, you know, well, like, what's your, like, where are you on Twitter or whatever? They can just be like, yeah, like, here's, and it's like their link tree or like that. Like, I, yeah, I saw like two people that went to config. Uh, I saw them tweet about it and they were like, oh, yeah, like, I have my nails done. I had the <laughs> chip put in. Uh, I'm like, that's crazy. Like, that's so inexpensive. Because that, like, that, that can go, it's like magical. That can go in a completely different direction. <laughs> Wolf I'm not gonna talk about. I won't talk about it on the pod. It's not that kind of pod. Oh <laughs> uh, no, 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 no! It's not. I'll get, I'll get banned from Spotify or something. Um, but uh, yeah, with events like there's so much that goes into it. There's so much that has to be managed so quickly because I mean, like events spin up. I mean, Hacktoberfest. Like, sure, we were branding Hacktoberfest back in March of last year. We started building the website in like August, and we had to have it done by like early September. Uh, and I think even then, like, it was just like such a hectic process. And there's so much to manage with these events. And like, that's not even an in-person event. Like, that's all online. And there's not even like speakers. That's just like, people like, go do the thing. We're like the host around it. Uh, but because of like these, uh, anything in person, especially like, there's so much going on. And so like, little time application or time to do this, that there's all of these companies that exist that do one specific thing in the event space. And you'll see companies like, oh yeah, we just, we need like a hosting platform for the online series. Uh, we're going to pay this company like 300 grand for it. And it's like, wait, but like we are like, I mean, we almost, we picked up on something similar to this and it was something in that kind of vein. We were like, 
we already do this. What do you mean you're going to spend 300 grand on something like this? And they're like, <laughs> oh, we do? And it's like, that wasn't even a question. And it's like, so much of that is able to be like gotten away with in the event space that these companies will just throw like, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars at these small companies because they're like, oh, like I'm stressed. We need a solution. You have a solution. Uh, just yeah, here's here's the money. Do it. Like it's crazy. I feel like it's it's like one of the last vestiges of of like little due diligence in in that kind of space. Uh, okay, so I have to jump off soon. But last two questions before you leave. Uh, I want to leave the listeners with one of your spiciest takes. Go. What spiciest? What's the second question? So I can think on that one for a minute. <laughs> um, the second question is the last question we ask every guest on the podcast. So the whole podcast is really about us asking the designer that we have on or the guests we have on how they're shaping the world of design. I want to know how has the world of design shaped you? Oh, I love that. Um, geez, I feel like so many of us can say like, uh, this is one of the few industries where it's say like what you do sort of helps define you um and i don't even mean that in like an unhealthy way i feel like the, the industries where you do see that where it is like unhealthy it's very obvious but i feel like so much so many of us care so much about what we do here uh that just does define us in our everyday lives uh i feel like the, the reason i'm here is because like both of those relationships between me and it like they they coexist peacefully uh at least at most times and I'd say like, yeah, because of that, I mean, it, 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 it's helped me like find a really good place in finding a career. I feel like I'd be bored or I wouldn't have the level of organization or like curation or creativity if I did something else. Uh, so yeah, I'm like very thankful for that every day that I get to wake up and do this. I mean, I say this like anytime I'm working with anybody and like I, I notice they get super stressed out or like oh man, like, uh, you know, the sale might not go through or like, you know, we're, we're having like high churn or like whatever it is. And I'm like, stop for a second and just think we get to wake up every day and just work on like playing around on computers. Like how cool is that? That like other people have to wake up and go to these jobs that they absolutely hate. And worse yet, they studied somewhere for four years to do this job that they hate. And we get to wake up every morning and just show up at a computer and like push some pixels around or like hang out with people and talk about this new crazy feature we can do or like oh snap like what's linear doing that actually answers my next question um but uh it, it's just so fun to me like this is so fun it's like it reminds me of playing with legos and like everything about that that like just it killed me as a kid and like it's so it's so fun that i like just i feel like i don't have to grow up so I would say that is how design has shaped me. It has allowed me to to live the life that like I've always wanted. That's great. That's as really for wonderful. The, yeah. As as for the hot take here, uh, why are there only like four websites you can design anymore? <laughs> like what the fuck? Uh, linear. I, I don't even know. If, like everybody's always like linear. Like the linear design is that like linears dot art um, website. It's like the scroll through of all of the like linear clones. I'm like, I don't even know if they can take the credit for like doing it first. Cause I think GitHub did some of their design first and like some of their inspiration is like, uh, like one of the, on the, uh, I think it's on their partners page. Uh, it's a, uh, it's a card that has the like cool holographic cover to it. And like, they reference like a, a code pattern from like 2017 and like, which is cool as hell. Like good for them. That's sick. Reference is very cool. Uh, but like, geez, can we just do something different? Like, I mean, I don't, I feel like everybody at Linear is probably like, geez, can we, can everybody just do something different? Please. <laughs> like, ah, oh, what a like weird world that, you know, we're so fixated on conversion and like, I mean, some companies, it, it matters for like the whole, the old story of like Amazon saying like, oh, you know, any, anytime we have like a two millisecond uh, latency, like we lose 10% of sales. And like, yeah, that's serious. Like you, you sell to like every fourth person on the planet. Sure. But like, come on, if you're a startup with a marketing site, like 
fuck's sake, man. I, like nobody's looking at that marketing site. Just let like have fun with it. your the value add there is to have fun with it. Like if you're going to draw in sales, it's because you did something wild. Like, I mean, I just talked shit on linear, but linear did it when they had the like beat up attack uh, that took down their site. And they were like, what if we just like, what if we just invited everybody to the Figma file to check it out and like, see what we did. And it's like, that was a publicity stunt and it worked because they're, they're like, they're socially aware or spatially aware of like their own existence. And that's cool. I think more companies in tech need to just take things less seriously, have more fun with their design and like start pushing these boundaries. I love that. And I'll add on to that, that, yeah, everything does look like linear, but uh, I think linear set a really good standard and yes. I wish things didn't look like linear and I wish they were more unique and were experimental. Again, I agree with you on the conversion issue where everyone's trying to, you know, get uh, more clients, more users and every, you know, different thing that they've been trying, A-B testing usually leads back to linear. <laughs> Unfortunately, some things go back there. Um, but I totally agree with what, what, the entire sentiment of what you said. Yeah, we need to try new things and stop copying linear. But also for linear, they're probably like, I think the only thing I disagree with you is that they're probably like, yeah, everyone keep copying us because you, you know we did it first and that's our branding. And so everyone comes back to us anyways and just brand awareness for us. So they probably love it. But I think overall, I agree with everything you said. Logan, thank you so much for coming on the pod. We're going to have to have you on a lot more. Absolutely, Mitch. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure, man. And we'll have to reminisce about the old days of undesigned podcasts and continue going from there. Yes, absolutely. Until next time. Thank you again. Thank you.